Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 44, where we chat virtually with Carrie. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. So this is a kind of special episode because Carrie's message came to us via the Anchor messaging app. So she sent a series of seven messages, which we are going to listen to and then respond to. And yeah, this was a, just a, a fun thing that happened that we could be doing as episodes in the future for people who just want to send in questions. So I thought it would be really cool to focus because this was such a long message that had so much content, just dedicating an episode to it. So uh, if you have that ready, Katie. Yeah. Hello, Lindsay and Katie. My name is Kari, and I have some questions for you about polyamory. I'm going to try to frame my internal monologue using your podcast structure of who, what, where, when, and why. I'm hoping you'll be able to tell me your thoughts and maybe give me some advice. As I said, my name is Kari. I am a cis white female, and I identify primarily as straight, though I can appreciate a beautiful person despite their background or gender. I have only been in monogamous relationships up to this point but have recently got involved with one of my friends who is polyamorous, partner one, and even more recently with one of my friends who is probably not, partner two. Am I polyamorous? I'm not honestly sure. And I dare to say that that's part of the reason why I am talking to you. This message will probably go on in about six parts, so hopefully you'll be willing to listen. Thank you. So they asked if we considered them poly. Uh, And I feel like something that we say a lot on the podcast is you're poly if you say you're poly. (laughs) If you identify as poly, then you're poly. But it sure sounds to me like they are. I would say they're definitely practicing some form of ethical non-monogamy, assuming that everybody knows, partner one and partner two both know what's going on, um, which I think was implied, although Mm -hmm. it's not 100% clear. So practicing polyamory or practicing ethical non-monogamy, at least, even if they may or may not identify as being poly. Yeah, it seems like everyone is open and honest and communicating their you know, desires for the relationship. So I feel like that is uh, the main staples of ethical non-monogamy. So at the very least, you're good there. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you also may be trying to figure out what works for you and if you are poly and I don't think you have to declare that you are or you aren't really at any stage but particularly at this point where you haven't done this before you're trying this thing now not everybody involved has claimed the identity for themselves they're all kind of trying to figure out what works for you Definitely. And I think they go into it a lot further in the next couple uh, clips. So if you want, let's start uh, clip two. All right. That sounds great. Here are some of the things I am loving about my current relationship style. One, I'm doing a good job of communicating. Both partners know about each other and at least some of what's going on in my head. And they want to be with me anyway. Two, I already think that my relationship with partner one is more healthy than any of my previous monogamous relationships because there's more direct conversation about our emotional and physical needs. Based on the episodes of this podcast that I've made it through so far, 
I'm just finishing episode 11, so I have a long way to go. Um, I would say that the polyamorous community does a better job at this because there are fewer assumptions being made about what the future holds. I have brought that into my relationship with partner two, and I think both are thriving for that reason. Three, these are two very different people. I like them for very different reasons, and they're both awesome. I have a fourth. One second. Four, I don't feel I need to constrain my flirtatious nature, and I'm not going to get into trouble for talking to that guy at the bar, bantering with the waiter, or dancing too closely to my social dance partners. I love going out and not having to worry about being in trouble for it the next day. This feels more authentically me than I have ever felt when in a relationship and is probably why I've been single for so long. This is a big draw to Polly for me. Here are some of the concerns I'm having that I'm not sure where are coming from. One, both partners would like to escalate their relationships with me such that I would be their girlfriend. I like them both enough to move to this status, but I have a lot of anxiety around this. Suddenly, I really do have to decide if I'm Polly, how to tell people that, if partner two would actually be okay with that, and how to keep a monitor on it. How to tell my mom. It seems really stressful. Then that leads into point two. All right, well, let's start there before getting into point two. Sounds good. So what I gathered was that the... They're all doing a really good job of communicating and both partners seem like open and, and cool with, with the fact that the relationship is open. Um, so it seems pretty healthy, even though they have different relationship styles, uh, they're not constraining her and like the flirtatious nature that she, I guess, authentically has. Um, but then her concern is that both partners want to have maybe a relationship escalator or something similar. Uh, and then also she seemed to have issues with the stress of coming out. Yeah, I mean, I think, so the best thing that I heard in there, really, that I just want to acknowledge you for, Kari, is um, that you're in these relationships where you feel like you can be authentically who you are and you can flirt, you can dance, you can have fun, you can be yourself in social situations back when we used to be able to go into social situations. And again, in the future, when hopefully we will be able to go into social situations. But the point being where you don't feel like either of your partners is going to be upset or you're going to be in trouble. That feeling of being in trouble for being who you are is the worst. And, um, you know, whatever you end up deciding with any of these people and in your future, I hope you really keep prioritizing relationships that honor you for being who you are and don't make you feel like you're in trouble for being who you are. So that was the first thing I wanted to say. Yeah. I would feel like that's the best ideal for all relationships is that if you feel like you can't be your authentic self with your partner, um, maybe that's not a good person to choose to spend the rest of your life with because you're going to have to continue to be not your authentic self. And that sucks, <laughs> you know, for sure, for sure. Um, in terms of Escalator, I wasn't totally sure listening to the comment about whether you meant like long-term Escalator, move in together, you know, live happily ever after, white picket fence, yada, yada, or if you maybe meant something a little bit more low-key, um, just in terms of I want to be able to talk about you as my girlfriend, um, you know, I want you to 
be able to identify that way yourself. I want to maybe update my Facebook status to say in a relationship with you, uh, you know, something sort of along those lines. Um, and I think that those are really some of the difficult questions about Polly and how out you want to be and can be in your life and still feel like you're really in a safe place. Um, Lindsay and I aren't in the same exact place with that in our own lives. Um, though I think both of us are kind of generally out in our immediate day-to-day lives. I am not nearly as publicly out as you are. And you have to really figure out how to draw those lines for yourself and with those partners, you know, and figure out how people feel about that. I mean, that's your communication sounds like it's really good with your uh, partner one and partner two. And I think that that's really going to hold the answer to the question for you about how out you want to be, including talking to your mom about it. I am out to my parents and my parents were actually fantastic about it. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily have organically decided I wanted to come out to my parents, but I was out to my children and I didn't feel like it was fair to my children to not be also out to other people in their lives so they would know that they didn't have to try to keep a secret for me. But really, it went surprisingly well. And um, I think I've told this story before, but my dad's first reaction was to tell me about this crush that he's been nurturing for the last like 60 years and how much he wishes that he could, you know, go for it with this crush, except that he didn't think my mom would go for it, um, which I thought was totally hilarious and cute. And I also don't think I know the person who he had the crush on and I don't think she'd be up for it either. I think he's also <laughs> right about my mom, um, but it was really a cute reaction and I appreciated the relatedness and I wasn't expecting it so you never know how your mom might react but not everybody gets that kind of positive reaction and you do have to be prepared for how are you going to handle it if it doesn't go as well as you might hope definitely and I I feel the same way about you know now that my my daughter is learning to talk more she is constantly talking about Rob's other partner and her daughter because they're over often and and they play a lot she considers my metamore's daughter her best friend you know and so she's constantly talking about sleepovers and hanging out at their house and it's only a matter of time before you know they she says something like oh well on date night you know or something like that right and uh and so uh i'm out to my mother because she's cool and and not judgmental in any way but we've tried to come out to Rob's parents and they were very very weird about it and very very much like well then you don't have a committed relationship and 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 then just in total denial uh so we kind of let that one that like let it go and we're like well we just won't talk about that ever again and it's going to be you know only a matter of time before we really have to start talking about it again because um (laughs) Yeah, they seem to think that we're since 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 getting married, totally monogamous, normal people, and we're like, well, this is only going to be a matter of time before this is uh, that this shatters, and they have to come to realize that uh, no, we're not we're not totally normal. 
It's fine. Well, you're definitely going to have the chance to see how strongly their denial can uh, go. Too. That's true. Yeah, they may never mention it. And honestly, I'd be okay with that. As open as I am, and really all they would have to do is Google my name. Luckily, I don't think that they're very tech savvy, but uh, <laughs> they would not have to do literally anything to find this out. Um, but uh, they, yeah, they, I think even if they found it out, they might totally be like, the the, the the denial is very very strong on that side of the family so I think it would be okay <laughs> um yeah, yeah. But yeah yeah I, and like like you said like coming out to your parents you were uh you were surprised by their reaction my mother's reaction was really was really positive very much like oh your father and I basically did that except we were lying and I was like well that's the opposite it's cheating but you know <laughs> I'm glad you want to connect with me on this you know uh, <laughs> And then later, years later, with her new husband, she said that, you know, they, they basically have an open relationship in ways, uh, again, not super ethical ways, but um, but almost like a, a different zip code kind of rule. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't want to know. Honestly, mom, no, nope. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and if it works for them and they're both comfortable with it, you know, yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't really want to know, but it's fine. Right. And that's fair. I mean, I think most of us don't want to know details about our parents and their relationship lives. Well, and it's actually pretty common that when a lot of people in the, the local poly group, when we talk about coming out and they say that they've come out to their parents, sometimes their parents will, their response is to come out in some way. Like, oh, you're polyamorous? Well, I'm kinky. And I thought, you know, we should talk about that. Or, you know, like, and it's like, ah! oh, yeah, Ooh, okay, I guess let's talk about it. Um, so, yeah, so sometimes that's the response, which is really interesting and sometimes horrible. I mean, I guess my dad's is sort of his own variation on that. You yeah. know, like, oh, yeah, me too, except not actually, but... Well, and even though my father is Catholic and Republican and, and you know, in, in various ways, a lot of the things that I wouldn't feel would maybe be welcoming of poly people, he he, he definitely, uh, like, had uh, a mistress when I was young and had asked my mom, like, well, why can't we all just, you know, when my mother found out about it, why can't we all just live together? Why can't we, you know, why can't you just accept that I'm in love with another person and then we, we all live together? And my mom was like, no, no, we absolutely can't. You cheated on me. You need to stop this. And it's, it's bad. You're bad. <laughs> you know? Um, so I feel like if my dad found out, or if I told my dad, uh, and I honestly wouldn't lie if he asked me outright, because I, I don't think that he would uh, react super negatively. I think he would mostly be like, wow, it's a, I, that's cool that you could make that work. I wish I could have done that, you know? Right. That right. More his, his response than, you are disowned. He's definitely not that way. Well, that's good. So Kari, I guess really what it comes down to is you've kind of got to figure out what you think will work for you. I tend to, in general in life, want to be out in as many contexts as I can. I was married for a long time in a same-sex relationship, and I was very, very out in that context. Um, and I'm still pretty out in that context. I'm less out as being poly in a public way, um, in part because there are no legal protections. And I have concerns about my work and things like that. 
in a way that I probably should have had more of when I was younger and aggressively out as queer. But at that point, I also didn't have children depending on me for a paycheck. And so the consequences to me, you know, I felt more like, okay, if I have to live on righteous indignation, I can, you know, find a way to make that work. And that is less true for where I am in my life right now. And you've got to kind of make that judgment call yourself. Nobody can make that judgment call for you. You should probably be in conversation with both partner one and partner two, because outing them without their consent is an issue too. Absolutely. Yeah. If they don't want to be connected via Facebook, it can be a hard discussion because, you know, you if you want to be out and they don't want to be, it's like, well, you know, who, whose story are you allowed to say? You know, are you always allowed to tell your own story? But then, you know, who cares how it affects anyone else? If other people are involved in your life, it's still your life, you know, like so. And, and again, that always comes down to the ethics. If you coming out and, and coming out for you on like on behalf of your partner um, by by doing that affects them negatively, then that's something you have to consider because they might not consent to you coming out on their behalf. Right. Right. And like, for example, um, my long distance partner is not at all out. And that definitely frames or affects how I talk about that relationship. And I feel very comfortable talking about the relationship in a general way. And even talking about specific things that, you know, communication or what have you. But I'm as careful as I can be to do it in a way that doesn't identify him, you know, and I don't obsessively make that perfect. If someone who knew us both heard me talking about it, they would probably be able to figure out who I'm talking about. But most people would not be able to identify him. And I feel like that's a reasonable compromise to make under those circumstances. You know, do I love it? No, but it works for us both for now. And over time, who knows how things will evolve. All right. Do you want to listen to the next clip? Yeah, let's do it. What is my end game? So far in your show, you have talked to many people who opened up to Polly, but they were already married or had children. I don't know if I want the monogamy elevator, but I knew, do know that I want a baby someday and that I'd like to have, I guess, a nesting partner, but like one who would move with me if I felt like living in a new place, who was committed to our relationship in a way that would definitely last into old age. I want to have someone to grow old with. And because my best examples are my parents and societal con- constructs, I've always seen that as one person. It seems really, really early to be thinking about that with partners one and two, but I know this is what my mom would ask. She would assume I was casually dating them and that I would eventually have to choose one. And to some extent, wouldn't I? How do you deal with that? Lindsay, do you want to tackle that first? Since you've really actually lived that? (laughs) Well, I mean, so wanting a baby and a nesting partner, if what you want is for that to be one and the same person, then that's what you want, right? But they don't have to be. I, I don't think they have to be. 
when my partner and I decided to get married, we actually weren't thinking about children necessarily. Later on in that year of us being engaged, we had started talking about it. And, and it was definitely a conversation that if I didn't want to have kids, which up to that point, uh, I, I didn't necessarily want them, but he did. And, you know, would I be okay with him having kids with someone else? And it was kind of a hard discussion because it felt really weird and because it is so different um, and in society, not something that we ever come across. But for me, it came down to like, absolutely. If you were ha- to have kids with another person, I would help you and I would support you and and that would be fine. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, that would make me a stepmom, essentially, if we were, you know, if we got married. And I would want to help raise that kid. And wouldn't I also, you know, or that kind of like made me think like, don't I want that for myself as well? Like, maybe I do want that for myself. If, if my partner is going to be a father, like it just started to sound more and more pleasant that that was something that we were doing together um, and not with other people. But at first it was definitely on like the table It's like, if you find a partner that, you know, you trust and you want to have kids with, that's okay. It wasn't something we had, we ultimately decided to do. We ultimately decided to have the baby together and then we did. But yeah, it was like, it's something that, that people do choose to do. I would say, I think it is rare, but it is something that people choose to do. Now, if, if what you decide is that you want a baby and a nesting partner with the same person, you can still be poly. You know, like I am still Polly. We both have other partners and we live with one another and we have a baby with one another. So you can be fully committed to one person and also committed to other people. Having a baby and a nesting partner doesn't change that. And I want to add too that there's definitely people in the Polly community who come to the Polly community as single people or as people who are maybe in those sort of earlier stage relationships where, you know, escalating things hasn't necessarily been on the table or a subject of conversation. But if you talk to them as individuals, like they're clearly looking for a nesting partner and they may or may not be looking for the idea of having children and a nesting partner in the future. You have to just have conversations is what it comes back down to again. People are looking for different things. And is it less likely that somebody who is already married and in a nesting partner relationship is looking for someone to have children with and nest with other than the person they already are nesting with? Probably. But people may be open to all kinds of things that you don't know until you start having conversations with them about it and talking about, well, here's what I think I would like. And, you know, what do you think? And you just... Never know till you start talking about it. Like, I'm of an age where I don't want to have any more children. And so for me, it's worked best to be dating people who are already married and in nesting partner relationships with other people. Because then I don't have the stress of thinking, do they secretly want this? And I am denying them something that they secretly wish that they could have, you know, even though their mouths may be saying, that's not what I want. You know, that's my baggage, right? you're going to have your own version of that in your head conversation of, but what do they really mean? And all we can really do is try to take people at face value and be as honest ourselves as we can and hope that 
other people are going to be honest with us. Uh, but you can also set up the possibility of structural success. You're like you have partner one and partner two now, have conversations with them about the kinds of futures that they're imagining for themselves. It doesn't mean you're proposing to them and asking them to get you pregnant tomorrow. It means, you know, how do you imagine that your life is going to look? Is that something that you could possibly ever imagine with me? Have you ever thought about moving to Santa Fe or moving to Belgium or, you know, wherever you're imagining that you might want to move to, you know, and they might say they can't imagine that. And you might decide, forget it, that's a deal breaker. Or you might decide, well, I'm not really thinking about doing that now. And I'm happy in this relationship now. And so let's just see how things go until I start to feel differently about my right now. Totally. Yeah. In all of these, I mean, obviously, most of our uh, advice questions end up being communication. Uh, communication is key. And yeah, it might seem super early now, but just as hypothetical you know, questioning, it's always good to know where people are and where they hope to go in their poly journey. You know, that's what we always ask. And, and, and even if someone doesn't really feel or identify as poly, they might have a good idea if they want kids. Most people know that. Most adults know that. Uh, or how they feel about being around other people's kids. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like those are really good beginning relationship questions no matter what. I totally agree. All right, want to start clip five? Yeah, let's do it. Three, my friendships fulfill me. Is sex needed to be in a loving relationship with people? If I de-escalate the physical side of a relation of my relationship with one of my partners and not the other, would it then be monogamy? I'm not sure I see the difference between friends with benefits and poly partners, and I'm having trouble in that aspect. I would love some advice on that. As to when I've felt different, I would say that it's very hard to say. I don't know what others feel like, so I tend to assume that whatever I feel is normal. There are a number of signs that could point to me being successful in either a monogamous or a polyamorous relationship. I think I like the freedom and potential of polyamory, but I am very worried about the emotional tangles. I don't think I personally will have too many jealousy issues, but I utterly hate feeling guilty. And I worry that if my partners are jealous, that's how I'll feel all the time. All right. I think there's maybe two parts to that that we can address separately. So first, thinking about what's the difference between friends with benefits and poly and do you have to be in a sexual relationship for it to be a partnership? I tend to think of all of those things as sort of on a spectrum and sort of just a matter of what labels everybody feels comfortable with. But obviously, as one relationship changes, it probably will change your other relationship. It doesn't mean that your two relationships have to be identical, but group dynamics aren't a static thing. And if you change a variable from column A, it's probably going to create ripple effects, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I feel like with terms like friends with benefits, polyamory open, you know, like casual, a lot of those things can be very, like, nebulous and hard to define. And they can also evolve into different things. You know, a casual relationship could end up being someone who's your best friend and then that turns into friends with benefits and then that best friend and you catch 
serious feelings and then it turns into maybe more of a uh an established polyamorous relationship and then you know like it, it the relationships evolve right they and they change um and dynamics change so so i feel like when you're defining like the difference between friends with benefits and poly it could be that at a certain point they're very very different and at a certain point they're exactly the same you know um so i think that if you are poly if you identify as poly you can have romantic connection relationships and casual relationships and that doesn't change the fact that you're poly and a, a friends with benefits might just be uh along the lines of more casual or more less responsibilities and obligations and and you know like uh time allotted maybe to that relationship but that doesn't mean that it will always be that way either and and maybe it maybe it does and that's fine too uh but yeah for me i don't know i feel like they so often blend and 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 kind of get interwoven and end up being essentially like on the same spectrum at the very least and they can also move in different directions like we've sort of most of the examples have been more casual to more serious but i've had relationships that went from being more romantic or sexual relationships into being more platonic friendships where obviously there's still we know each other in this way that's a little bit more intimate and that's an aspect of the friendship but the dynamic between me and the person is really more one of friendship than it might have been at an earlier point in our knowing each other absolutely i've also had that happen and i, and I don't like to say that that's like a de-evolution it's just like a romantic relationship can evolve into a friendship you know i like to say that like yeah they they're both in a forward trajectory trajectory <laughs> i like that i do like that in terms of it is difficult to learn how to make sure that you're really only taking appropriate responsibility for how things are between you and someone else. I think that's one of the hardest things about being in a mature adult relationship, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous. You can't control how other people are going to feel. You can be respectful of it. You can have conversations about it. You can try to make sure that you're not intentionally doing things for the purpose of hurting somebody else but can't control how other people feel. Yeah, I definitely feel like a lot of people like to say, and I, I know that Cunning Minx is a huge proponent of the own your shit uh, model of thinking, and in that people are responsible for their own emotions, and you are never responsible for, at the very least, like helping or fix, fixing someone else's emotions, de dealing with someone's emotions. They can only really do that themselves, but best relationship model probably is that you listen to them you you know validate those emotions even if the their you know feelings are not facts but validate that they that they are feeling that way and maybe they are feeling jealous jealousy is not a problem it's 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 a it's a natural human emotion it's what they do with that jealousy if their actions based on that jealousy is to treat you like shit or treat you badly in some way, that's a problem. 
Um, jealousy in itself isn't a problem. It's just something to talk about and work through. So, so it kind of always depends on that person and how they, how they deal with jealousy. In what ways is that a problem or not? And I really do think that over time and with good communication, a lot of jealousy can be momentary feelings of you know, being a little sad or a little upset or a little envious that then settle back down into not being that big of a deal. Like, again, to use the example of um, my long distance partner, when we first started talking about being together, he wasn't as comfortable hearing about my other relationships or, you know, really wasn't sure how that was going to be for him over time. And I maybe censored myself a little bit more than would be my ideal. But over time, I also realized that wasn't really working for me. And more recently, I've gotten into a new local relationship. And when it reached a point where I felt like in order to be responsible, I really need to be talking about this with my long distance partner as well. Um, he had really come to a place himself of realizing like it's really true my local relationships don't have anything to do with my relationship with him and how much he and I are there for each other or the dynamic between us and if I am generally happier and healthier as a human being that's all to the good for our relationship you know it's not an instant thing that automatically happens it's a thing that takes some time and some communication, but you can get there. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, want to start number six. Yes. Clip number six. Monogamy leads to a path that works for some people. And I'll admit that the adults in my life have all been quite lucky in that regard. I've seen plenty of examples to the contrary, but I still have that classic fantasy romance script in my head. Meet, be friends, fall in love, get married, move in together, get a pet, have a child and live happily ever after. I know I was turned off to Polly originally because one of my friends is in an unhealthy Polly relationship. The dishonesty is rampant. I guess I'm still unclear if you can cheat on your partner in Polly relationship, but it seems like you can. Let's just say they're not good models and leave that can of worms alone. Anyway, that also uh, lends a hand in scaring me away from this path. So as you can see, I'm not exactly on my Polly journey yet. I can still see the straight and narrow road, and it would be easy to conform back to it. I don't want to hurt anyone, and I'm a bit afraid of doing so if I continue down this road. Okay. I feel like to her first point, you can have the relationship escalator while still being poly. Like, the anti-relationship escalator is generally one version of poly, uh, relationship anarchy, but a lot of people in the poly community still follow the basic relationship escalator model like I mean I could even say that I have done that you know we have pets and a house and a baby you know like we, uh, um, but I still don't you know I don't consider myself less poly for having followed the basic escalator right right I think all right I'm gonna be really straightforward about some opinions that I am not always totally straightforward about Okay. I think that in mainstream American middle class culture, we have 
almost a pathological relationship with the idea of meet someone, fall in love, move in together, get married, live happily ever after, have babies, all of that. Like, it's such a almost forced path future that I think particularly when people get into their late 20s, early 30s, and they have not launched themselves well along that path, it can lead to making really bad relationship decisions because you want to be married and having babies and living happily ever after more than you want to figure out what authentically works for you and makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled as a person and what a healthy relationship looks like for you. That's not to say it can never be a healthy relationship, but I feel like people are not good at being objective about whether or not that's the right path for them. And I don't know whether that has anything to do with having good role models or not. My familial life is also full of people who have been married for a very long time and have what seem to be pretty healthy monogamous relationships. But I, I still have that opinion. So I think it's not to say it's the wrong path or you shouldn't be on that path, Kari, if that's what you authentically want. But I think it is really worth looking closely at what you actually want as opposed to what you think you're supposed to want. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like you also can't know the experiences that you don't know yet, right? And if you're just beginning your poly journey, two or three or 10 years down the road, your wants out of life are probably going to be different. You know, they they may have a very similar, like, oh, I still want to have kids one day, or I still want to have a wedding one day, kind of, you know, like goals in mind. But I, I don't know how many people join the poly group thinking, oh, we're going to open up a relationship and date another woman. And then that doesn't work out. And then, you know, again, seven years down the road, they're both dating separately, multiple people. And that's a totally different thing than what they had imagined. But that's how it worked out. So yeah, I, I feel like you you don't know your future necessarily, but you can always have your best laid plans. <laughs> you know, you can always have your best laid plans, I guess. Right. And again, it comes down to being in as clear of communication as you can be about where you are now and where you think you want to be going. Even though all of those things may change over time, if you and your partner or partners are in good communication about them, it's not to say nobody's feelings will ever be hurt because that's going to happen. People's feelings get hurt. You won't always be perfectly on the same page, no matter how wonderful your relationship is and whether it's monogamous or poly, but at least you can avoid taking people by surprise most of the time. And as things evolve, that evolution may feel normal and natural and can happen, you know, affectionately, not angrily. Totally. And to their second point, uh, can you cheat while poly? In, and having friends who don't practice good polyamory. I feel like there are just as many people who practice 
bad polyamory as there are who practice bad monogamy. Not really knowing how to be in a successful relationship knows no bounds. You know, like we, it's, it's unfortunate. We're not taught well. We're taught by romanticized movies and books. We're taught by, you know, the happily ever after that never actually goes into how that relationship continues and if it was happy forever. Uh, and we, um, yeah, we're just, we don't have really good relationship models and we especially don't have good polyamorous relationship models. So a lot of people fuck up and a lot of people practice quote unquote bad, you know, um, polyamory. When it comes to cheating, that that can be tough because you absolutely can cheat while poly, but from like from an outside perspective, your your definition of cheating might not be theirs, right? So like I was talking about my my mom's relationship with her partner and they have this weird dynamic that I would maybe call cheating where like and again, I'm, this isn't their dynamic, but uh, one that I see in the in the community sometimes is like, well, it, if I don't ask, don't tell, right? Don't ask, don't tell is a is a common relationship rule. Or if it's out of state, it didn't happen. You know, none of that. Right. Is, it doesn't count. It doesn't count, right? If it's at a conference, it doesn't count. If you're on a work trip, it doesn't count. Like none of those things would be okay in my relationship. But that's not my relationship. That's theirs. And if that's something that they have come to an agreement about and they're okay with it, like truly okay with it, well then, then I guess to them, that's not cheating. To me, it would be. So I feel like people's ver uh, definitions of cheating do change relationship to relationship and, and can be very different. Um, so, so if you're friends with these people who are cheating, they absolutely could be cheating but maybe it's not cheating to them. And even and if it is, just because they are people you know who are a bad example, like, okay, now you've got a bad example. You know what you don't want. So as you're talking to partner one and partner two about how you value relationships and the things that you want in your relationship with them and potentially in other relationships, you can be clear. Like, if you did this thing that my friend does... I would be really upset by it and I would consider it cheating. Yes. And I've, I've, I've talked to partners and said, oh, my ex, um, we broke up because they cheated on me. And they were like, oh, so what did they do? And I'm like, well, they had sex with people without telling me. And they're like, so that's cheating? And I was like, ah, okay, yep, to me it is. Yes, I guess, you know, like, um, so there's, there are definitely some people who might have no idea uh, what, your version of cheating, your, your idea of cheating is because I mean, it, and it does, it is different for different people. Right. And it's a reasonable question of like, okay, so do I need to tell you before I go out on a date? Do I need to tell you before we have sex? Do I, is it okay if I tell you I met someone like, I mean, how you want to be communicated with is a fair thing to try to figure out and talk about and hopefully will help avoid a misunderstanding based on one person thinking something is okay and the other person considering it cheating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, and again, people fuck up. Sometimes if you don't have that conversation or is it's not a very clear conversation when you do have it, 
um, so many people enter relationships with all these assumptions. Like I entered a relationship assuming that if my partner was going to have sex with someone, I would know about it. And that didn't happen. And it's like, well, okay. Did we have a good conversation about it? Maybe not. You know, like, did we, and, and for some relationships, they were important enough to me that we had the conversation. We then kind of like figured out our relationship agreements because we had not figured them out beforehand, obviously. Uh, and then we moved on and that was fine. And then in some relationships, I, I, I would say I probably did not care about them enough to work through it and move on. That was just, okay, you cheated on me. Maybe this is a good time to disconnect and not continue on with this relationship. And that's always going to be, you know, depending on how serious uh, the relationship is. If you've only been dating for a, a month, maybe, or a few weeks, maybe it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, if you've right, been dating right. for seven years, maybe it's worth it. Uh, you probably should have had the conversation before then. But, you know, so, yeah, so I always feel like that it always depends on the relationship, whether cheating is something you can work through or if it's just like uh, it's just not worth it. Cut and run. Yep. Yep. Should we listen to the next yeah, segment? We have one final segment. Yep. All right. But man, am I curious. I guess I'm looking for more about what makes Polly great for you. What advantage is there to having a number of sexual partners instead of just one and a number of close friends? When do you cross the line between casual dating and poly relationships? When do you tell a partner about a new relationship prospect? How do I, as someone new to poly, help person two understand my feelings when I am so bad at identifying them myself? Well, let me know if there are already episodes that deal with similar topics and I'll jump around. I hope that you guys have a great day and just know that listening to your podcast is helping me. So thank you for making it. I really appreciate that. And it's making me uh, know more about the world and the people in it. So thank you. All right. Bye. So I do think that we have a number of episodes that would help knowing that she's only at episode 11, although this, we did get this, these messages like, a month and a half ago so maybe she's much farther and if she's been quarantined and away from work maybe she's maybe she's up to date who knows <laughs> um, <laughs> but i do think that like um the episode we had with jen which i think was episode 22 where she talked about how like having multiple sexual partners helped in her poly journey and and self-discovery i think that would probably be a really good episode to listen to absolutely um, i know that we did have i want to say it was episode one or or, or three, like our first interview was about relationship anarchy. That would probably be a good one to listen to when it comes to talking about like casual relationships versus um, like capital R relationships. Uh, and then also uh, Lane's uh, Cultivating Your Commitment Garden. That might be a fun one to listen to when it comes to like levels of commitment and how they change with different relationship dynamics. I agree with all of those recommendations. I can't think of I, I had more to them. add, but I don't yeah, have yeah. something off the top of my head. I really up. love the questions, though. Mm -hmm. So what makes Polly great for you, Lindsay? Uh, well, I think similarly to what Kari is feeling, the freedom, uh, the freedom of not feeling like, well, the freedom that I feel like, I truly feel like I could do whatever I desire, whatever I want. Obviously, I always take my partner's all of my partners um, feelings and you know like the state of our relationship into consideration and the obligations that I have 
like a child with my partner, you know, my time right, constraints right. and uh, my and my job. You know, I take all of those things into consideration before I just go and do whatever I want. But I don't feel constrained by my relationship that I that I can't do what I truly want to do. Uh, and so that freedom is what makes Polly great for me. And I feel like in almost every episode, we we have asked, um, you know, why are you Polly? And that's generally the answer is like, what makes Polly great for them? So I feel like there's, a, and there's always been a different answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what makes Polly great for you? Um, I've talked about this a little bit in some of the episodes, but I don't know that I've addressed it quite so straightforwardly part of what makes Polly great for me and what distinguishes it from casually dating or having friends with benefits is that I feel like using the language of polyamory makes it clear that these are relationships that are important to me but also relationships that for me are not specifically on a relationship escalator. And that's obviously not true for everybody who is poly. It's part of why you have to have like, how do you do poly? What does poly mean to you kinds of conversations when you start dating somebody? But for me, I know that where I am in my life right now, the idea of having somebody else move into my house and, you know, be involved as a parent with my children is not a thing I want and not a thing that's going to work for me. And dating in a monogamous context comes with the assumption that you'd like to be on that escalator. And sometimes that assumption is almost irrevocable. Even if you say out loud in words, that is not what I want. My experience is that people don't totally believe you. Mm -hmm. And hope that you will change your mind. And in a healthy poly context, people believe you when you talk about what you're looking for in a relationship. And you can set yourself up to be dating other people who want similar kinds of relationships to what you want. And who are hopefully going to be supportive of you having the different kinds of relationships that fulfill different needs that you might have. I have a relationship dynamic in one of my relationships that is just incredibly sweet. And I would say like that sweetness is the, the defining dynamic. And I really, really enjoy that. And it is also not the only kind of sexual relationship dynamic that I enjoy. And early on, as we were talking about those kinds of things, uh, that person made it really clear that, you know, they were very happy for me to have different kinds of relationship dynamics, but that was not going to work for them. And like, that's for them, part of what makes Polly great, they don't have to try to be all things to me that I might want. And I don't have to expect that of them. I can look for different kinds of relationship dynamics and different kinds of sexual dynamics that 
work for me so that all these different sides of my personality um, have the experience of being fulfilled and happy. Yeah, and I like that, like, every relationship dynamic that you enter into could be totally different, could fulfill a different need or desire, or, or just want, you know, like, sometimes I want something different. Sometimes you want vanilla ice cream, and sometimes you want something totally different. Chocolate with <laughs> on top of sherbet in a... Right, with home. pistachios. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really true. Um, I think the other thing for me is um, I'm a really busy person with a lot of responsibilities in my life. And so are all of the people that I'm in relationships with. And none of us have a lot of time. If I were only in one of those relationships, I would feel more sad and maybe stressed out when schedules don't align and I know that I would have more time to be in my own head about why aren't they spending more time with me why aren't we yada 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 and that's not good for me it's not good for the relationship it's not good for anybody um and if I have, you know, just at least like a couple of different dynamics going on that I need to be paying attention to and that I want to be paying attention to and that are fulfilling and fun and people that I'm ex excited to be around, it removes some of the pressure from all of the relationships. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So another question that Kari asked is, when does casual dating become a relationship? Um, and again, I feel like when both you or you and all of the people involved decide that it is more, you know, hopefully there's conversations happening and, um, and you can literally ask, you know, is this casual or is this capital R relationship? Do you want it to be more? Um, and if you want it to be more, say that. Now, some of that is more challenging right now <laughs> in our current universe of yes. social distancing and trying to figure out navigating relationships that are uh, socially distant. Um, I know I personally have a very strong preference to having those conversations in person. And we can't have those conversations in person right now in those early stages of relationships because that's not a, a physically healthy and safe choice, love in the time of COVID-19. Um, so sometimes we, you know, end up making some assumptions and uh, trying to figure out those things a little bit on the fly. But I think oftentimes you at least have a gut instinct of this has the potential to be more... And I sure look forward to the time when I get to have that conversation, um, you know, or not. And isn't it convenient that we have social distancing that is going to have us be a little more distant for a while? You know, the dynamic could go either way. Um, I am personally in that situation right now that is more in the former of like, 
boy, it would be great to have those conversations, but we're just going to assume that we're going to have that conversation sometime in the future. And I think we're, yeah, I know we're on the same page with that. So it works, but yeah. How, you know, communication is how, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like for some people texting is maybe better, you know, and it might be like a more uh, millennial or, or, or Gen X thing that you want to uh, type out your feelings, collect them, edit them, uh, maybe delete the whole thing and never send it. Uh, but <laughs> like, I definitely fall into that category of if someone's going to send me or talk to me about something super serious, part of me definitely does appreciate being in person. And part of me really wants to be able to collect my thoughts and not just say the first thing that comes into my head and then, you know, type them out and send them when I'm ready, you know? So like sometimes, and for some people, those heavy conversations of, hey, are we casual and do you want to be more, uh, are best in a text and kind of emotional, emotionless platform. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations that way. I don't know if they're the best, I don't know if that's the best way, but for me, it's like the mo most comfortable way to do it because it's, 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 up, it's so um, removed that I can really feel like you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna, I don't know, make a fool of myself or something, you know, like, That's fair. just feel that more is totally fair. Yeah, that is totally fair. And maybe the flip side of it is the opportunity for the lost art of the love letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know, I know I've been having a lot of Skype and Zoom dates lately that have been nice. I actually, we, my boyfriend and I were on Skype, had a video Skype call last night for a couple hours, and we just watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine together, and it was really nice. We, oh, you know, fun. Yeah. It's like, I had, like, a, a drink, he had a beer, we watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It was great, and giggled at all of the stupid shit. <laughs> it's a nice that's, little, that's awesome. uh, yeah, relief from watching the news and just seeing the, you know, counts of people getting infected rise higher and higher you know you need a little break <laughs> so so yeah so it's nice to kind of have that um social connection during social isolation yeah yeah absolutely the, another question that she posed was is there an, an advantage to a number of sexual partners which is like i guess it depends on what your goals are for a while i really wanted to have a lot more sex and sexual experiences because I felt like as a sexual educator, I should have more partners <laughs> and I should have more experience with people because then I would know more. Um, I don't think that's quite how it works, but I think, in <laughs> part, you know, like in part, it definitely made me feel like, or like experimenting more sexually made me realize just how different bodies can be and how normal every single body is you know like nothing is abnormal unless it's causing you a, a, like pain you know right, um, right. nothing is abnormal and and everyone is a little bit different and people's bodies work differently and that was it should not it should not have been a revelation but like for a lot of people I think they think because maybe they grew up watching like their sexual education was via porn or something then they had totally different uh, ideas of how sex works 
I grew up not necessarily watching porn, but reading romance novels and like, oh, wow, is that not how sex works like ever? <laughs> you know? so, so I definitely had to come to a realization that that's not what sex is generally like. Um, maybe don't romanticize it to be that because it's not going to. And, uh, and then also like what is expected of me is different with every partner, what I should be expecting of them. It should be different. And so like having more sexual experiences just made me understand people in a sexual capacity, I think better. Um, but you might not need to actually have sex to do that, <laughs> you know, but I don't know every uh, your, your mileage may vary. Yes. <laughs> That's fair. Well, and I think, um, I mean, I'm a big fan of experimenting and of trying to figure out what you really enjoy. And also, I think it's lovely to have, again, the sort of different dynamics that you have with different partners, because no two people are exactly the same. And it can be really fun and fulfilling and um, just sort of delightful to be in romantic and sexual relationships with different people. Absolutely. Uh, so another thing she said was, or asked, when do you tell a partner about a new one? And I feel like that really comes down to what, what parameters have you agreed on with your relationship? Do you talk about every single person that you match with on an online dating, because that could be a lot of people and it could be that you have one line of conversation with them and never talk to them again. And is that worth bringing up to a partner uh, or or do you only talk up to your partner about people you actually are considering like dating or having or have feelings with or, or are, want to consider a more serious relationship with? I feel like everyone's wants and needs are going to be different that way. Some people want more information. Some people want less and and I think just like communicating with your partner and and making um and knowing what they would like to know and then respecting that and and then also telling them what you would like and hopefully they respect your desires as well um that's what's worked out for me you know like I don't necessarily want to know every single person that my my partners match with but if they go out on dates I'd love to hear about it and not in like a I'm well, maybe it's an I'm a nosy person, but like, uh, not in like a nosy way, but in a like, I'm happy for them. And I like to feel compersion for my partners. And if they have an exciting date with someone, I'd love, I like to hear about that. So that that's kind of like where, where we fall. And we, um, all of my relationships have come out that because we've talked about it, because we've talked about like what we would like to know and what we don't. Now, weirdly, I have maybe been, you know, a bad polyamorist on this front and have had very few conversations with my partners about what do you want to know and when do you want to know it? Um, so I've been left a little bit more to the what are my instincts on these things? And so have they. Um, I think, fortunately, um, for the most part, our instincts have tended to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be the first time that you go on a date or have a sexual experience with a person, but it does have to be when it starts to feel like it's a different kind of relationship than it was. So if somebody's 
having fun at play parties, like, yay, have fun at play parties. If you want to tell me a story about it, that's awesome. If you don't want to tell me a story about it, that is also fine. If it's going on a first date, I probably don't need to know that you've gone on a first date. Um, maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe you're super excited and you know this is going somewhere. And so it has only been one date, but you have to tell me. On the other hand, maybe it's, huh, I think we're about to go on our third date. I feel like probably I should be clear with my other people that this is turning into a thing, even if it isn't a thing that we've necessarily defined yet. Um, but certainly by the time you have a relationship defining conversation then yes everybody else who may be impacted by that new relationship should know that it's happening for sure and I feel like generally when sex becomes a factor uh oftentimes people will will talk about it with their partner only because then things like safety measures may change right and you kind of just want to respect people's bodies and choices and the choices that they can make when it comes to like if they are going to feel differently about protection and stuff like that it's obviously not like everyone is responsible for their own body and no one else's so no one is going to be able to tell you you absolutely have to change this or an xyz you know you're in charge of your own body but i always feel like it's it's respectful to let people know what they are in for right like so if your partner is only seeing you you might feel differently um if they are only having sex with you versus if they are having sex with many people right there's just like an elevated risk involved so you might you might feel differently so i don't know I 100 percent like, yes absolutely yeah, when sex is involved i feel like communication needs to be more involved right and defining what that means matters as well. Like people have different levels of, you know, how much fluid exchange are you comfortable with before you have to tell somebody? Is right. it okay if you kiss somebody before you have this conversation? Maybe yes, maybe no. Is it okay if you're having obviously there's a lot more to sex than penis and vagina or, you know, anything involving the potential of fluid exchange. And so I guess I tend to think about where do I draw those relative risk lines and that affects where I'm going to draw disclosure lines as well. Yes, absolutely. So how do you tell partner two about feelings when you're bad about, when you're bad about it? So like, um, so this one actually spoke to me a lot because I feel like in my poly journey over 12 years, I am still absolutely learning how to put my emotions into words that I can say to my partner. The, the best thing that I have found in, in making this happen is journaling because then I talk to myself essentially over and over again every day, um, a, a little bit every day about how I'm feeling. And the more I write to myself about this and, and have conversations with myself about how I'm feeling, the better able I am to actually put those into a dialogue with my partner. But that has taken a long time and a lot of practice and you're not gonna be good at it right away. You just, 
you just aren't unless you're really like unless you really know yourself and and like this person like Kari has said it's hard for them to to put their feelings into words that takes so much time and so much practice and I feel like people in general are bad at it you know yeah I agree and I think that you're right journaling is a really good way to get better at it um otherwise you just kind of have to plunge forward even though you feel like you're not going to do a great job because oftentimes the more you say things out loud the clearer they get to you true which i think also is why therapy is is a good idea too because you're forced to talk <laughs> and from a from an unbiased or to an unbiased and and you know um uh, individual who is not going to you know break up with you because of the things you're saying they're they're disconnected from this emotion, but you're forced to talk it out. And, and I feel like that is a good way to, to, to also manage your feelings and then be able to put them into words. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the, the main thing is just do it. <laughs> You'll get better at it over time. It'll get less awkward and weird. And even if you don't always know, like you can say, I don't really know how I feel. Like, I kind of think I like this person. I'm worried about how you're going to feel about that. I'm confused. Like, you can, you don't have to tell them, I know all the answers. You can tell them, mm. I'm confused and baffled and bewildered and scared and freaked out and also excited and happy. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be coherent. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know is valid. <laughs> absolutely valid mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate that like we so often demand a, a response of ourselves and of our partners and and I don't know is is completely valid that is something wonderful about writing also I've talked about this before I'm pretty sure that my long distance partner and I write a lot of shared google docs and sometimes we write in our own Google Docs first to try to figure out what we're trying to say before we dump it into the other person's hearing. But even when we don't, being able to read something that they have said and then process it yourself without watching, you know, they're not watching my face to see you know, what they think I'm reacting based on my facial expression, or I'm not watching theirs to hear what I, you know, to make up in my head what I think they mean based on their facial expressions. Like that is actually kind of fantastic because it makes it a lot easier to say things that we might feel scared to say. And even though it's scary to put them out there and not have that immediate reaction, it also gives them time to try to figure out how to say what they really mean without fearing that we're going to shut down because maybe they made a weird face. All right. Yeah, we do. Uh, to an extent, you absolutely have to trust your partner, you know, like, and so when you tell them, I'm concerned that you're jealous and they say, no, I'm, I'm not like, you have to trust your partner to a point. If you don't trust your partner, then it's that's that's the problem, right? Like it's the whatever you're talking about probably is less of a problem than the fact that you don't trust what is coming out of their mouth. Right. 
So yeah, yeah, you do have to, and and if their response is, I don't know how I'm feeling, you also have to trust that and then work through that as well. Yeah. All right. So I think this went really awesomely. I'm, I'm excited that, that um, Kari sent us this message and in such a really clear and, and kind of organized way. I think that that is really cool. And I invite listeners to do this because it's really easy to call into the Anchor app and leave a message to us and you can do it like Kari did and and put it into multiple clips and yeah I mean this was really cool and I was worried that it because it was like only seven minutes of content that we would have like a 14 minute show or something (laughs) that does not seem to have been what happened no no we're (laughs) almost at an hour and a half (laughs) like that's pretty awesome so yeah, so if apparently, Lindsay, you and I can talk to each other pretty uh, easily as well. We, we really do not have a problem communicating. <laughs> and no. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, if you want to do that, and you'd like uh, listeners, if you would like to leave us a message, and and we can make it into our own episode, follow uh, Kari's guidelines essentially, and and answer our who, what, when, where, and why yourself while asking us some questions if you'd like some advice it might be made into its own episode um but also if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast right now we are doing all of our recordings via skype so we can also just have people on as guests via a skype conversation um like we did this one and like we did our last episode with uh brad so that's always an option as well if you want to come and talk about uh, a subject matter that's important to you. So Absolutely. I'm just opening and that. And it can be something we've done before too because I think we're clearly at a point where um, we know there's a lot of different points of view on different topics within polyamory. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with revisiting topics from a new point of view. Absolutely. So yeah, so if you want to leave a message, you can do that on the Anchor app, or you can send us an email at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com, and that could be uh, open up a avenue of a, of a Skype conversation with you. Yeah, so thanks very much for tuning in. Lindsay, thanks for handling all of the tech side of all of this, and please thank Rob also. <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you, Kari, so much for that awesome message. It was really fun. I really, really thank you very much. All right. Have a good uh, quarantine. Yeah, you too. (laughs) Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller. And Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.